This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, February 14th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, county's weakest bridge slated for replacement. Public health considers outreach past and future, reflections on a sister city, and a mountain weather forecast. The Placerville Valley Village is a tiny neighborhood of some dozen or so homes governed by a homeowners association. The community surrounds a little pond and is cut into the thick spruce forest between Placerville proper and the Down Valley Park. To get there, you turn off Highway 145 and cross over the San Miguel River on a bridge. It's known as the Applebaugh Bridge, and it's a little worse for wear. Uh, we know that the current bridge is uh, was our lowest rated of county bridges and, and identified in the every two year evaluation that we do on all bridges that the state does. Um, and it's been a grave concern for the residents and staff as well as Um, the Down Valley Fire Department who uses that uh, water source. That's San Miguel County Manager Mike Bordonia speaking at a meeting of the county commissioners last week. Given the state of the bridge, it's long been slated for replacement. The county has eyed the project for nearly a decade. And for the Applebaugh Bridge, Bordonia says, This is uh, an incredible day that has been seven years in the making from uh, when the HOA and the county first applied for um, bridge funding through the federal um, bridge program. As regulations and costs shifted, the county had to return again and again to the grant writing process in order to secure finances for the project. Last week, those efforts came to an end when commissioners gathered to approve the bridge replacement. Progress, though long-awaited, will now happen rapidly, says Bordonia. The project has already been bid out. The engineering is complete. Um, We have a contractor standing by. Um, We will get the project moving ahead. And then it has a pretty short um, duration for the ultimate replacement of the bridge. I believe it was 100 days. 100 days. So we're excited that hopefully this can get completed before spring runoff. The cost of the work comes to a grand total of $2.5 million. The county has secured $1.8 million in grant funding. The residents of Placerville Valley Village will foot the remaining cost, some $740,000. Rallying support for that funding from the small community was a process unto its own. But the chair of the HOA, Trevor James, was in attendance at the meeting to say his community is on board. He notes the neighborhood is... And the extremely unusual position of having a 90% in-hand approval vote of this project from all of the HOA homeowners. James adds they're waiting on a few outstanding votes, so that number could well rise to 100 While the bridge is not located on a major thoroughfare and largely serves the immediate community tucked on the southwestern bank of the San Miguel, a pond accessed by the bridge is a primary water source for the Placerville Fire Department. So what that means is that this this project really has a dramatic effect on not only our community, but also the greater Down Valley community that relies on that water supply in order to be able to have their homes protected. And Bordonia notes the years-long process is a lesson in community collaboration, perseverance, and patience. This has been hundreds of hours 
of the HOA's time, of staff's time, um, of legal going back and forth. I'm just elated that we're finally here today. The commissioners vote with pleasure to move forward on the Applebaugh Bridge replacement. Respiratory disease season drags on, but the picture may start improving, says County Public Health Director Grace Franklin. So far this winter, um, RSV, COVID, and flu, the biggest respiratory illnesses that we're seeing um, currently, they've all peaked in growth, um, but have started to stabilize, so it's not decreasing um, substantially. Um, This could mean that there might be additional waves. It could mean that it's just slowing down slower. But just something that's um, notable is that we might be past the worst of it. Franklin spoke with the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners last week to provide a holistic public health update. This winter as well, we had one child care outbreak of RSV and one child care outbreak of COVID. Um, which is not alarming, but um, definitely something that we've been working with the um, child care nurse and then the direct schools to help mitigate the spread and communicate with parents. More concerning than a specific outbreak at a daycare facility, says Franklin, is actually the general vaccination picture among San Miguel County's youngest residents. She notes, Colorado as a whole has really low childhood vaccination rates. We always have historically, but it's continued to decrease over the last few years. In San Miguel County, we follow the trends um, with Colorado. We've, we're better in some areas, worse in others, not too substantially. Um, but we mostly trend to less than 85% of our um, children are up to date with their childhood vaccines. Meanwhile, Franklin says, there have been some outbreaks of measles, meningococcal, and varicella, also known as chickenpox, on the front range. All of these diseases are preventable by vaccine and have for years been rare in the U.S. due to diligent vaccination practices. Their reappearance has caught the attention of public health officials across the country. So as we're starting to see these different outbreaks occur, um, across the nation and within our state. It's one of those things of how do we continue to build the case for vaccine-preventable diseases and um, having the preventative measures to protect our community. As public health recommits to messaging and aims to up immunization numbers in the county, it can celebrate administering over 1,700 vaccinations to area residents last year. The majority of those were COVID shots. In other public health milestones from 2023, Franklin reports they distributed almost 800 Narcan kits, which can reverse an overdose, and over 3,000 fentanyl test strips, which can reveal if drugs are laced with the potentially deadly substance. At the outset of the pandemic four years ago, public health officials, both here and nationwide, directed all their resources towards covid Over the past year, public health has been able to turn towards other initiatives. Noting those, Franklin reports in 2023, they provided sexual health counseling and STI testing, connected families with healthy food through WIC benefits, performed health inspections in over 100 county restaurants, 20 of which were re-inspected, and lent out their radon detector to 17 different households, checking their home for the carcinogenic gas, imperceptible to human sense. If you'd like to learn more about county public health or access any of these services for yourself, visit sanmiguelcountyco.gov. 
with you. Yeah. Well, you've you've come out of the pandemic with a bang. June, you reopened the preservation hall. Now you've begun touring, and you'll be joining us here in Telluride in just a couple of weeks. You know, we've taken a year and a half off from doing doing what we've spent our lifetime. That's KOTO's uh, own DJ Jimmy Jazz, Jim Berkowitz, interviewing Ben Jaffe, creative director and tuba player with the New Orleans Preservation Hall Jazz Band before the band's appearance at Telluride's 2021 Jazz Festival. Preservation Hall is a vaunted and legendary jazz venue in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and Jaffe is one of dozens of musical artists, a list including Trombone Shorty, Etta James, Dizzy Gillespie, Mavis Staples, and so on, who've performed at both the New Orleans Jazz Fest and at Tellurides. The music for me and for many people in Telluride is very relatable. Steve Gumbel, the producer of Telluride Jazz Fest and Telluride Blues and Brews. Brass bands, funk, the meters, coming to jazz, um, all that stuff, you know, really, it kind of all comes back to music and... and um, New Orleans Jazz Festival is probably the longest, oldest running festival. And, you know, that's where we went. We went to New Orleans for uh, for Jazz Fest. And, and that music resonates with me and it seems to resonate with people in Telluride. A love of festivals and an appreciation for music in the jazz tradition are just one of many cultural touchstones shared between the sprawling bayou city of New Orleans and our tiny town of Telluride. In observance of Mardi Gras, which culminated yesterday, Tuesday the 13th, I began asking a handful of Telluridians with a New Orleans connection what they made of our town's affinity for the Big Easy. Could New Orleans be a sort of sister city? Here's Gumble. You know, scrape through the beer-soaked floors and beads and hurricanes, and, you know, I think there's a, a, cultural, a cultural connection a culinary connection, and uh, and definitely a music connection. Mark Azard is a longtime Telluride resident. He's been to 31 New Orleans jazz fests with his wife Janet, and he's the DJ behind New Orleans Road Trip, which graces Arcoto Airwaves weekly on Thursday afternoons. Azard points out many of the chefs behind Telluride restaurants came up in New Orleans. Then there's a shared value for historic preservation— but, says Izard, it really comes down to a means of self-expression. You can be whoever you want to be. You can wear whatever costume you want to wear. You, you know, we, we like to dress up in Telluride. We like to dress up in New Orleans. And it's not just dressing up. It's if you choose to act a certain way or look a certain way or have certain values and, and um, desires, you're open to express them. The people of both communities, he says, have an open-hearted intensity. It, it's, I think it's really more about just uh, experiencing life, you know, just trying to, trying to take everything to the max. Catherine Bono, a wedding planner and a creative entrepreneur who lives in Telluride, grew up visiting New Orleans and worked for over a decade on the production team at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. She started there in 2006. And it was a wild year to be joining uh, their production team uh, because of Katrina. Bono remembers the city devastated, rebuilding slowly, painfully, and still gathering for their beloved jazz fest. 
Bono, of course, sees the similarities between the Big Easy and Telluride's culture, but she reflects on her frequent visits and points to some differences. We live in a bubble here in Telluride, and so I see that as a huge difference. It's sort of where I seek to go at least once or twice a year just so I can get my culture fixed, whether that is food, just being around minorities and, you know, different groups of people. And I, you know, I have so many friends and family there. So that, of course, keeps me going back too. Camilla Choa moved to Telluride shortly after graduating from Tulane. And she recalls being enchanted by the city when she first enrolled at the university. The culture of it, it really is a melting pot. And when you get to New Orleans, you can feel that energy, this ancient, like haunting energy. I just felt like I was in a city that was so much older and wiser and bigger than me. That was really humbling. Choa points to the enormous wealth disparity between New Orleans and Telluride as a major difference. And Izard noticed a cultural shift in Telluride as its wealth has increased. A shift away from the offbeat and open-hearted expression of the Big Easy lifestyle. As money has come in, you don't have quite as many of the unique and interesting characters that, that we used to have, but it's um, it's still there. There's no question about that. On that note, Choa reflects, Telluride could perhaps learn from New Orleans. And she says, Adopt some more, some more forms of celebration, I guess, and community events that include everybody despite their tax bracket. But for all the ways the Telluride can feel like a changing, difficult, and unsustainable place to live, Steve Gumbel says there's an undercurrent of New Orleans in all of us. If you look beyond, you know, sort of the myopic short-term stresses of living in a small mountain community and the politics and, and, and the lack of housing and all those things that create tension... Um, you get through all that, there's still really a common denominator of, you know, sort of the big, easy vibe. Happy Mardi Gras. One day belated. A rec center, perhaps with a gym, a pool, and other such amenities to serve our region, has been a longtime dream of area planners, elected officials, and many residents. Such a facility, says Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson. is one of those missing links in our community, I think, that has been discussed for over 30 years now. The town of Telluride performed a feasibility study back in 1996 to look at the possibility of building such a center. At the time, council balked at the price tag, an estimated $7.8 million. In a vote, they declined to move forward. Decades later, the vision has been reborn as a regional collaboration, Area governments are again looking to perform a study on how much a center might cost and where it might go. At an intergovernmental meeting earlier this week, Robson says, I know Mountain Village and the town of Telluride have now dedicated 25000 each, I believe, in our 24 budgets towards such an effort. Additional funding could come from San Miguel County or area special districts to help complete the study, which area governments hope to move on this year. The town of Telluride will plow the north side of the Shandoka lot on Friday, February 16th. Plowing will follow on the south side on Tuesday the 20th. Snow clearing runs from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. each day. Public Works requests you move your vehicle before plowing operations begin.
View the full schedule at bit.ly slash totstreets. Ballots are headed to Colorado voters for the presidential primary election. Election officials started mailing them out on Monday. Colorado's presidential primary will be held on March 5th. All ballots must be submitted by 7 p.m. that day. The primary election for state-level races, including congressional races, is on June 25th. A new bill in the state legislature would make it harder to carry concealed weapons. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports Democratic lawmakers want to require more training. To get a concealed carry permit, Coloradans have to take a handgun training class or have experience with firearms in the Army or law enforcement. This new bill would increase those requirements to include live fire training, a written exam, and at least eight hours of instruction. Bill sponsor Senator Kyle Mullica says concealed carry holders should not be firing their weapons for the first time in an emergency. If, God forbid, there's an instance that has to be used to protect yourself or or someone else, you know, I think that it's a good thing to make sure that you know how to use the weapon and that you fired the weapon with an instructor. The bill would also add training requirements around safe gun storage. It gets its first committee hearing Tuesday. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. Competition for water on the Colorado River is intense. There's not enough to go around. So when a large volume is up for negotiation, it draws in powerful players and big money. KUNC's Alex Hager reports on one deal coming together in Colorado. Amy Moyer is standing under a busy highway, pinched in a dramatic snow-covered canyon. On one side, the rushing Colorado River churns with whitewater. On the other, a chain-link fence blocks off a building that looks like a warehouse with electrical wires and big metal pipes coming out of it. It is a nondescript brown building off of I-70 that most people don't notice when they're driving. Moyer is with the Colorado River District. But if you are in the water world, it holds the key for one of the most interesting and important water rates on the Colorado River. This is the Shoshone Hydroelectric Facility. And even though it uses a lot of water, it returns every drop back to the Colorado River. And that means it's not just a hydropower plant. It spins through the turbines and then goes back into the river to be used for habitat, to be used for recreation, to support cool, clean water for drinking water and uh, productive agriculture on the West Slope. Shoshone is a big reason why water keeps flowing to cities and farms along the river in Colorado. Moyers Group is a taxpayer-funded agency founded to protect western Colorado water. It's spending big bucks to buy the rights to the water and lease it right back to the power company, XL Energy, all to make sure that water keeps flowing even if the power plant goes offline. It's so much more than we're going to spend $100 million to do nothing. We're keeping Uh, The native flows in the river for so many benefits on the West Slope. Moyers Group isn't just keeping water here, they're keeping it away from the people on the other side of the mountains. Fast-growing cities and suburbs around Denver get their water supply piped over from the Colorado River. For decades, western Colorado has been anxious that their east side neighbors will snatch up the plant's water for themselves. So even with a $98.5 million price tag, buying Shoshone is a huge sigh of relief for the western slope. And the biggest beneficiary? 
Anything that results in more water in the river is good for fish. Further downstream in Grand Junction, Dale Ryden with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service looks out over a murky, meandering stretch of the Colorado River, home to endangered fish. It's a competition between people, between agriculture, between recreation, and between the natural world to all try to survive and coexist. By buying the Shoshone water right, the River District is trying to take some of the heat out of that competition. And it's already working. Tina Bergenzini runs the Grand Valley Water Users Association. We can't have farming without taking care of those fish. It, they go hand in hand. The Endangered Species Act says people who use water from the river are legally required to leave enough behind for fish. If they don't, they have to turn off their own sprinklers. So if the water from Shoshone keeps flowing where fish need it most, farmers and ranchers don't have to worry. I think peace of mind is the number one most important thing. It's just peace of mind of knowing that we're going to be able to divert. It's not every day that a big money Western water deal brings together fish lovers and farmers, not to mention about 20 other local governments and nonprofits that pledge their support and money for the Shoshone purchase. Lauren Riss is the state's top water official. I don't expect that there's going to be um, entities or individuals that come out of the woodwork, you know, vocalizing any strong opposition to us moving forward in this way. Access to water is a hotly debated topic around the region, and any kind of deal that gives a lot of people some decades-long security about who gets to use it, that's going to get a big base of support. Again, the River District's Amy Moyer. I think now more than ever, there is a desire to look for long-term permanent solutions on the Colorado River, and this is one that exists for Colorado. In a time of deep uncertainty about the river, this big-money deal lets at least some water users put to bed decades of worry. In Glenwood Springs, Colorado, I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partial clouds tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Thursday, expect a mix of sun and clouds with a high in the mid-30s. There's a slight chance of snow Thursday night with otherwise cloudy skies and a low in the mid-teens. Expect mostly sunny skies on Friday with a high near 35 followed by a partly cloudy night with a low around 15. This has been the news for Wednesday, February 14th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Mountain Films Adventure Shorts fundraisers this Sunday, February 18th. Doors open at 6 p.m. for a silent auction featuring Wagner Custom Skis, a trip to the Opus Hut, and many more exciting items. Festival favorite Adventure Short Films commence at 7 p.m. We can't wait to see you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You're also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.